Welcome to your digital reputation. Here's your host, Roger Christie. Hello, and thanks for joining us. My name's Roger Christie, founder of digital reputation advisory firm, Propel. And today we're exploring the question, why should CEOs tell stories on social media? Yes, stories. I wonder how many leaders see storytelling as part of their official remit today. Some may think, well, why bother? My job is to manage the numbers and the decision-making across the organization, not tell stories. And that may well have been true just a few short decades ago, but we now live in the reputation economy where leaders are required to do much more than just deliver shareholder returns. And so just as social media has provided leaders with a platform to speak and control their narrative, social media has also provided their stakeholders with access and the right of reply. When audiences are making decisions around whether to or not to work for you, to or not to buy from you, to or not to trust you, your stories as a CEO really do matter. And for that reason, I'm thrilled to be joined in the studio by Doug Taylor, who is the CEO of the Smith family and an unofficial chief storyteller too. Thank you so much for joining the Your Digital Reputation podcast, Doug. Thanks, Rog. Thanks for the opportunity. I think we should call this story time or something like that. It feels like going back to kindergarten, doesn't it? <laughs> it actually reminds me of the, the things that we put on Spotify for our kids to try and get them to sleep. So hopefully, and in fact, I'm certain that won't be the case today, you've got some very interesting stories to tell. And actually, I'd like to start there if that's all right, Doug. I, I actually heard a story recently myself about the origins of the Smith family. W- would you be able to tell that story? Very happy to, Roger. I tell this story all the time, so keen to, keen to share it. So yes, the origins origins of the Smith family are that in 1922, five businessmen were returning from doing some work out in Western New South Wales, were coming back. It was about Christmas time, had a meal at a pub uh, in Parramatta, and they were sharing stories uh, about what they were planning to do for the Christmas and in particular what presents they were buying for their children. The conversation then turned to a conversation about, so what does Christmas look like for a disadvantaged family and a disadvantaged child? So they then actually said, well, let's go and find out. So they went away and uh, each kind of looked into that separately, came back together. And in, in summary, they then decided to take some presents to a local orphanage in North Parramatta. And when the matron of that orphanage asked, who should I thank? One of them said, thank Mr. Smith. And the other said, we're all, we're all the Smiths. Uh, and hence the Smith family began. And it was that wonderful gesture of wanting to be anonymous in giving. Uh, it seems a bit quaint in the social media age, but that drive to give without getting anything uh, in return was kind of endemic in the organization, a real character uh, of the organization at that time. And it's really interesting, you know, um, obviously we had our centenary uh, last year and, and somebody who's a bit of a history buff, I read a lot of our archive archival material. And in the early years of the organization's history, um, uh, and you should read the, the minutes and look for officers and, and people with particular roles, they all call themselves someone Smith. So John Smith, Peter Smith. So it's actually very hard to work out. We don't know who the founders are right. because they're actually anonymous because they've adopted that name in the first few years of the organization's history. And I love, what I love about that name is it's kind of an attempt to say that giving and and caring for others it's it's all of our responsibilities we're all smiths it's a shared humanity and um a wonderful and that's been a character and feature of our history since then in terms of involving the australian community and in, in giving back and making a difference and you know it's like it's a lovely story and what's interesting about it doug is that i've known of the smith family for so long and known i suppose elements of what the smith family does and the impact that it has 
And yet hearing that story, as you said, I think the word you used was ethos. For me, that's exactly what it did. It reinforced the ethos of the organization, why it is and, and, and why it does what it does. And it was captured through a very simple story and the origin story and how that, I suppose, um, transcends all the information and the facts that I've known about the Smith family over the years. It's a really powerful mechanism. It, it really is. And, you know, I often use that story to talk about our focus on research and evidence. You know, our founders did that themselves. We still involve the business community very strongly in our work and very much focus on making a very practical difference. That's what we're about. So all of that, that founding story is a really important symbol of our ethos and culture. And it's obviously something that you take responsibility for as well. And, and I mentioned at the start, your official title is Chief Executive Officer, but but I mentioned maybe one more tongue-in-cheek, which is this idea of a chief storyteller too. And it's actually a phrase that you mentioned in, in another conversation, another interview, and it really stuck with me because this idea of a, a chief storyteller and a chief executive officer, those dual responsibilities, yeah. it has quite an impact when you look at those two things together. So perhaps in, in your words or from your experience, what is a chief storyteller and and how important is that as part of your role at the Smith family? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a great question. And by saying I'm chief storyteller, it's, it doesn't mean that I'm the only one that does it. There are others and arguably they do it much better than than I do. But, but look, fundamentally, uh, from my perspective, if we look at the kind of history of humanity, Stories is how we convey meaning and purpose. Uh, if you look at that over generations from, from time and memorial, that's been, that's how we transit those really important things through generations and across uh, different groups in the community. We do it. We have an individual story. We have a family story. We have a national story and we don't pay enough attention to our organizational story. And that's really what I see my role as helping our team understand and be absolutely focused on. And from my perspective, that helps our culture in terms of how we understand who we are and what we're about and how we do things around here. But if I can um, think about using stories to connect more deeply with people, particularly to their purpose and our purpose, then honestly, that's much better in terms of productivity. People are more engaged, they're more attuned, and they want to contribute more uh, to our organization, both our team members, but also our donors and our volunteers and our supporters. So from my perspective, stories are important because of that means of tapping into purpose. Um, and just a little anecdote on that, a story. Um, <clears throat> I love the anecdote of um, you know somebody coming across a group of people crushing rocks uh, and ask them what's the, what they're doing. And one says, I'm crushing rocks. Another says, I'm crushing rocks because I need to feed my family. And another says, I'm building a cathedral. You know, so that, that kind of simple thing there, different understandings in terms of what they're doing, but stories connect more deeply with people and a bigger sense of the ambition and, and what's, what we're trying to achieve, uh, together. So, you know, I spent a lot of my time looking for stories, telling stories to team members and supporters because I want to connect in a more fundamental way and, and have them more engaged with our work as an organization. So, I mean, it sounds like a fairly intentional strategy, if I can call it that, around, you know, recognizing one, the power of storytelling and, and its, its value as a mechanism to deliver information, as you were saying before, um, but also I imagine seeking those things out. And as you said, Yes, you might be chief storyteller. I know we're putting this in inverted commas if people can't see me and they're listening along. Chief storyteller, but really as someone who enables and sets an example for others. And is that is that part of your role too, to 
curate, but also to empower others to Abs- tell Yeah, stories. look, without a doubt, it's certainly about empowering others and encouraging others in our organisation to do that uh, as well. And I, and I think it's a combination of being, you know, thinking about where to find those stories. So I, I draw in our history, uh, obviously, in terms of where we've come from. I find stories to talk about our values, you know, why, and I kind of, the way I often do that is giving shout outs to team members who really embody those values and bring them to life. But honestly, what I probably talk about the most are the people that we're here for, our students and families and communities. And, you know, just today we've been doing some work in the media and I'm telling stories about the challenges that our families are facing in the community and equally stories around when things really work and we see the difference made uh, in their lives. So I'm doing that all the time uh, in terms of finding those great stories and trying to amplify them internally in the organization using on platform online platforms and then also externally because um it has an impact and and i think it also means that others kind of pick up that great opportunity as well yeah yeah and i do i want to come back to this idea of enabling others to tell stories as well because i do think that's really powerful when when an organization can unlock that storytelling capacity across the organization but i suppose what i'm hearing is you're a stories-rich organization. You've talked about the history. You talked about the fact that last year was your centenary. So maybe it's, um, well, maybe I shouldn't assume, is this a role and a responsibility for every CEO or is this something that applies more specifically for the Smith family, for other NGOs? Where do you see that responsibility today? Is this sector specific or not? No, I, I, Roger, I think it's the lines have blurred between not-for-profits, business and government. Um, you think about the rise of ESG. We have, as citizens and as employees, we have different expectations of our institutions. And, and, and I think a lot of that means that we want them to be fundamentally speaking to their purpose and their responsibility to execute in line with that purpose and mission. So, and that's why I think stories are a vehicle for conveying that fundamental purpose of any institution, uh, in society and makes that, you know, really critical. And so, you know, when I, you know, I think about the Simon Sinek, um, quote that, mm. um, you know, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. So stories, purpose, take you to the why. Um, and, and I think any institution has a responsibility to do that. And I see great corporate leaders doing that. I see the best of our political leaders also finding ways to tap into those stories and to, and to really bring those kind of factors to the fore. And, um, and that's, and that's what I see, you know, funda- fundamentally my role and, and the best of any leader, um, in any organization doing that as well. It's funny. I mean, as you're talking through things there, I'm reminded of some research that uh, that RepTrack did um, globally around corporate activism. And it's just one example that jumps out. And you mentioned ESG there. I, I remember in the report them talking about the correlation between CEOs who are outspoken around ESG issues and the positive impact that has on reputation and subsequently the correlation between a positive reputation and positive business outcomes. And it's one of those things where you know, I've got a bit of a theory myself where the skill set of leadership is changing. And maybe maybe it aligns with neatly with social media, maybe not, maybe it's not that convenient. And perhaps we've had very good storytellers at the helm of every organization over or not every, at many organizations over the years. But I do think there is a a weird alignment and correlation with social media's rise and the rise of a new sort of CEO who is perhaps more of a visionary to use that term, someone who is a storyteller, someone who brings people on the journey with them. Not, as you said right at the start, it's not about telling your story, it's about telling the organization's story and the story of stakeholders and communities. So I do think that we're seeing a shift 
perhaps uh, not leaving performance skills and requirements behind and governance requirements behind, but we're elevating the importance of storytelling amongst leadership. So I think obviously I'm going to advocate for more leaders telling their story online. I think naturally that makes a lot of sense. But what I'm hearing from you is, you know, perhaps there's there's less um, about advocating from a social media perspective. This isn't a social media thing. This is a leadership thing in terms of understanding your organization. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. And and the way I'd kind of frame it, Rog, is it's, um, it's funny because when you think about storytelling, you think about somebody who's doing all the talking. But actually, I think the best storytellers are the best listeners. So I think the, the kind of most fundamental skill for good leaders of today who are attuned to the ESG issues and their and institutional responsibility is the ones that really listen to the people and to the communities uh, that they're here to provide services and goods to um, and being attuned to their needs and aspirations of responding uh, appropriately. So it's it's important to have kind of two modes, two modes working. You're listening, but you're also conveying things at the same time and picking up on the critical issues that are going out, going on in the community. And, you know, at the Smith family, we've, we're in the midst of a, uh, a new strategy and that was off the back of a lot of really considered thoughtful listening to our students and families and communities and hearing what's going on in their lives and responding to that. And that's the best element of any vision and any strategy is really ensuring that you're connected uh, to the work that you do and to your community. So, you know, in terms of ESG, it reminds me of that quote that, you know, you cannot operate a successful business in a failed world. Mm. So we've, we're highly invested in our communities if we want to run successful and sustainable institutions. We've got shared interest uh, at heart. I think there's, again, a really neat parallel there between that idea of storytelling being both, well, and perhaps first listening and then speaking. And I, I think there is a really neat parallel there with social media. And I think the perception for storytelling is exactly as you said, it's what I say. It's making sure that I'm you know, crafting that message perfectly and getting it out there where it can be heard. And as you said, that process, success in that process starts with listening. Social media is exactly the same. I think there is an overemphasis on the the broadcast, the talking, and you know, times arguably yelling. And if actually we step back and listen better as leaders, we read the room better. We understand, as you said, the needs of stakeholders better. And then therefore anything we say, is going to be more suited to their needs, more relevant to them, and ideally going to resonate more. And, and if it's got a storytelling vehicle you know, behind it, then that's what's really going to make it sing. Absolutely. And in fact, just further to that, I think, Roger, the beauty of social media and, and other digital engagement is it's you actually go from story to listening to conversation. Mm-hmm. So the back and forward, and, you know, I think as – as a as a leader, and I think about the best leaders, it's you know where we want to be in conversation with our people and our communities because we know that our ideas get sharpened, refined, edges get knocked off, and our, and we're exposed to more diversity of thinking, which only kind of makes our our ideas and our strategy and our visions better. And that's the great power, I think, of of social media in many ways. And it almost makes this a much more collaborative process, doesn't it? Rather than the traditional leader, you know, standing alone, leading from the front, or even in the ivory tower, that kind of visual that we're all familiar with, what you're talking about here is a much more collaborative and inclusive and community-led approach to leadership, which which I really like and resonates. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Your Digital Reputation podcast. Now, I wanted to let you in on a little secret. We also have a Your Digital Reputation newsletter. I know, creative title, right? 
It's free to sign up and a place where I share tips and tricks to help you get the most from your social media efforts. And I bust a few myths along the way too, like why you shouldn't repost content and what LinkedIn does when you tag your whole executive team. Want to sign up? Simply go to propelgroup.com.au and head to our subscribe page. It's that simple. You can even do it while you're listening right now. All right, back to this episode. I suppose, and you mentioned this before too, Doug, the, so this is your 101st year. So you had your centenary last year and um, as you've rightly pointed out um, and as I think anyone listening today would know that it comes at a really challenging time for for many people. And so within all the stories around the Smith family, is there one that, you know, that perhaps, you know, one that's inspired you if, if you're able to share it? And as you said, if you've shared it online, what impact has that had? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be greedy and give you two. If that's okay, Rog, you, you, you can edit You're this out. To, you, know, you can edit whatever well, you like. I can't now. You said two. <laughs> that's right. Okay, you can edit that too. Um, <laughs> Doug's going to tell us one story. No. <laughs> Very quickly, uh, just on the centenary, because I think it's relevant to what you've said. Um, I, I spent In the centenary year, I'd spent a lot of time talking about historical anecdotes and, and kind of drawing purpose from those. And one of the ones I absolutely love is, you know, for much of our history, we were writing welfare relief uh, into the community and then in the 80s, <clears throat> we were running a, a, a listening exercise to the families that we were supporting and saying, you know, what, what do we need to be doing to adapting to your needs and the changing needs of your families? And families just talked about their need to have more support with their child's education. Started off small with a pilot project in the in the 80s and then, you know, early part of uh, really this century, a real pivot of absolutely focusing on, on education and addressing educational inequality. And you know what I love about that story, and I talked to the team about, it, is just the, cor- the the courage of listening, and then adapting and responding to the changing needs of the community. And I talked about that a lot as I talked about our new strategy and sharing that with the team, and talking about constantly adapting and changing, and the wonderful courage we've got in our DNA to be to be doing that. So that was kind of one little story I wanted to share because I just think there's so many wonderful things in our organisation's history we can draw on that inspires people. Um, yeah, look, cost of living pressures are obviously very pronounced uh, at the moment. Um, and I think the challenge that um, I really try to bring to people's attention in the wider Australian community is just the the impossible choices that families have to make when they're on low incomes and they're experiencing high costs for the essentials of life. You know, the choice between putting petrol in the car or, um, you know, all the school books, you know, the fundamental kind of challenges that families experience. And um, I'm, you know, make an effort to try and talk as, as much as I can to families. But one story that I've actually been sharing today, uh, in the media is a story about, um, Peter and girl who are, uh, families that are two uh, people that a family that we support. Um, you know, they're shift workers, hardworking family. They've got four kids struggling to make ends meet. Um, doing extra shifts to try and cover those costs. And one of the things they talked about is being most challenging for them is the fact that they've got one iPad to share with the four children, uh, which is nowhere near what it needs to be to make the most of their education, but it's the best they can do. They can no longer use that. It doesn't work anymore. They've got no internet con- connectivity. And just the frustration that that presents for them as a family. And, you know, I tell that story because I think so many people just would be horrified to think that there are children today 
who can't take a laptop to school, who don't have a laptop at home to use, 15% of the families that we support don't have digital access in their family. And that's a, that's a real inhibitor of a child's education. You know, as I meet the children and young people that we support and I meet them at school, I meet our alumni student, these are young people that are as capable as my children or any children, all the same essential capabilities and, and also aspiration, but often just lack those resources. And mm. so much of our work at the Smith family is really about ensuring that we find ways to provide those essentials uh, so that the most can be made of a child's education, you know, books and school uniforms. I mean, just a, I remember one story. Um, this is now my third. Um, one of our alumni students told, he's a successful corporate leader now in his 30s, and he said, the biggest thing that we did that made a difference for him and his siblings was funding school uniforms that were exactly the same as anyone else in the school. Because he said, I used to go to school and my uniform was different because we couldn't afford the same uniform and I didn't feel a part of the place. Even if I wasn't being teased, I just, I did, I felt different. And so that led to me starting to disengage from school and learning and getting behind. So just those simple things um, make an enormous difference uh, in young people fully participating in their, in their education. The, I mean, that word simple, they are simple stories, but they're powerful, aren't they? And it does point to the very specific needs there. And I think, you know, I'm going back to a comment you made right at the start around the origins of the Smith family and that idea of anonymity flying in the face of social media. It's a, it's a really interesting concept because I feel like what you shared there and sharing those sorts of stories online with permission, of course, making sure that people are comfortable with you sharing their story or, you know, doing so anonymously. What you're talking about is not taking their story. They are their, those stories are those people's stories. What you're doing is actually using these new modern communication channels in order to elevate those voices. And ideally, um, although it's a, a sad reality, voices that otherwise aren't heard. And I think that's really powerful. So yes, the original, you know, mission and, and foundational um, ethos of the Smith family may have been quite different. And we certainly didn't have LinkedIn back in those days, but the the premise of helping those voices and helping to empower people to step out of the circumstances they might be in. And that, that example at the end is a, is a brilliant one of being able to do that. And, and I think that's, that's something I'd like to tap into as well, is that they're not all your stories. You've said that and I agree with you that they're not all your stories and your job as chief storyteller isn't simply to tell and own all stories. So, you know, leaders do have a responsibility these days to speak up. We've talked about that in terms of their skill set. How can you practically empower and, and what other, um, uh, you know, stakeholders within the Smith family do you empower to speak up? How can they tell their stories as well? Yeah, look, it's a it's a it's a great question, and I think <clears throat> it's something that we're really thinking through um, in terms of how we harness and amplify the stories of our students and families. We're just running a really interesting project at the moment, and I'm I'm about to meet this group in the next week or two, where we've got a group of students together who are helping us think about our innovation strategy. Of course, they've got the best insights in terms of what they need, and we do a lot of work in kind of human centered design, but. Look, Really looking forward to meeting those uh, those young people and and hearing from them about the insights in terms of what we should be doing with our programs uh, going forward. Um, the other thing that I think is really powerful there's this great line um, in advocacy uh, when you're advocating to government that a lot of people will use, which is um, uh, "nothing for me without me." In other words, 
be very careful about speaking on behalf of people. And I'm so conscious of that when, you know, I'm trying to um, represent in the best way I can what I see in here and what my team tells me. But of course, I don't want to pretend to know exactly what that experience of uh, poverty is like. So it's a very fine line, uh, particularly in advocacy. So as much as possible and increasingly we're trying to think about how do we bring directly the experience and the stories um, of the people that we're here to serve into those conversations with government and other groups uh, that we're working with. So they hear directly and that's the power of social media. And so a lot of our social media has young people talking, has families talking about their um, experiences and one of the wonderful traditions we have in the Smith family is um, having alumni students come and talk to our staff. Uh, it's something we do regularly and consistently, consistently, and it's the most inspiring kind of time when we do that, when they simply talk about what their life was like, um, their interactions with the Smith family, how that's helped them, and, and the other things that they're learning and doing themselves. And so it just absolutely pumps the tires up of the whole organisation when we do that. But it's also a really important principle, I think, that you know don't speak – uh, on behalf of me, actually, let me talk for myself. I think that's a really important message for leaders and, and any kind of communications advisor listening to this podcast to hear is that even though we are talking about the importance of stories as a CEO and your responsibility being a storyteller, it is absolutely about empowering others and giving them a platform. I, I love that advocacy, um, again, ethos, that that way of um, ensuring that the community is part of that and not telling stories on people's behalf. I think we see very commonly on social media brands taking people's stories and and using them almost as an asset as a as a resource that they can use to um to reflect their culture and values and i think it's very important as you said to ensure that the people themselves are empowered to tell that story because there is nothing more authentic than your own story and the the ceo's responsibility i suppose at times can be to get out of the way and give others the platform you know make almost carve the path for others to have their say. Now, you've also, I suppose, you, you've raised a couple of thoughts that are just percolating in my head around this idea of the importance of listening to inform what you say in your storytelling. And, and I would actually, I think I came into this conversation thinking I was going to say uh, to leaders, there is a message of being courageous, and you used that word earlier, courageous in your storytelling. Don't be afraid to speak up and share your stories. But I think it's actually more nuanced than that. I think it's it's being courageous about listening first. It's being courageous about not seeing yourself as the owner and source of all stories. And it's being courageous about perhaps extending some of your equity as the most senior person potentially in the room to others and actually donating that, if I can use that word, leasing some of that equity and that reputation to others so that they can tell their stories. And I know from a, you know, almost from a psychological safety perspective, particularly online, when you create that space for other people, that's incredibly powerful to have them tell a story that you couldn't possibly do justice um, and making sure they have the, the support around them. Um, you're listening to know that the story is there and you're providing the support and the, the structures around them to ensure that that story can land on the right ears safely. So um, I just want to make sure that message is heard. And I think the other thing too for me, Doug, is that it strikes me that, as you said, you're a, you're a history buff. You love this sort of stuff. And obviously, you know, even from our conversation today, I can tell that this is something you enjoy. It's something that you love doing and you're very comfortable with it. And perhaps that comfort comes from the purpose mm. behind your stories. But I, I get the idea that there'd be plenty of leaders sitting there going, 
I can't tell stories. <laughs> I'm, I'm a rubbish storyteller, for example, someone who thinks that they just, that's not their style. They're a numbers person. They're an analytics person. They're whatever it is. Give me a spreadsheet and charts and things. So, you know, for people who might be avoiding sharing stories, why should they, and particularly online, why should they rethink that for social media? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. And look, I'm not. I'm not a natural storyteller. I've, let, let me be clear. It's You're doing a I, good act. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> right. It's 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 a learnt skill because yeah. I've seen the power of it in terms of really. Uh, helping people understand what you're trying to convey and be bought into the mission and the purpose of the organization. So it's a learned thing. Absolutely, Roger. And I think, I think you summed up really well, uh, better than me, I think what, what this is about. But I, I do think there's an element of courage in taking some first steps, some small steps, uh, in this regard. And one of the things, just a little variant on that, that I've found helpful in storytelling is actually sometimes putting me in the story. Um, and actually talking about me. Um, so it's representing me through a kind of a story and, and, and what I'm about. Now, for some people, I think leaders would be quite averse to that. It's not all about me. And well, no, it's not. But sometimes I say, if this is going to help me convey this really important issue, then that's, that I think is matter, matters and important. So as, as an example of that, um, I was just doing, just doing the tour of, um, meeting team members and it's look it's really tough at the moment for smith family team members who are working with families with really challenging circumstances and so they're struggling and so i told a story about my first role uh working with rough sleepers in the city of sydney and how challenging that was for me it was in the 90s the peak of a heroin epidemic and i talked about what i learned from that experience about resilience and kind of keeping on through really challenging times now I wouldn't always put myself in the story, but sometimes it's really powerful and I think helps people connect with what you're trying to convey. So maybe don't start there. That might be a bridge too far. But I think um, I would just say to, you know, to others thinking about you know, where to start with, um, with stories is, you know, just start anywhere. Don't kind of overthink it. Use other people's stories. Um, even the anecdote that I used before, like there's plenty of things online. Now you can make that your own and the like, but that conveys really powerful things over and above the facts and the figures and the theories and the, the strategies and the like, but they do just take people's brain into a different space. And the amount of times that I see hear people kind of replay back to me what they've heard it's always about the stories i've shared <laughs> it's not the theoretical stuff that comes but that's attached to the story so it just connects with people and it's worth just having a go and and uh and taking some small steps and you know what's the worst that could happen <laughs> you know seriously people will see you trying and attempting and they'll want to encourage that and they'll want the best uh from you in in that regard and and a lot of this i think comes down to how you think about leadership you know there's i think traditional modes of leadership person in the corner corner office sending out missives every now yes, and then yes. and you know everyone receiving those messages on high and you know i think our understanding of leadership has changed from not being a role but being an activity um, something that anyone can effectively do and you know i think from my perspective and why I try to do things online in the organization and externally is because, you know, I want to be engaging with other leaders and learning from them uh, and to be in those sorts of conversations when we can be growing together. And and through that, my story, my messages, my what I'm trying to achieve gets across. And I think it connects much more deeply. I think that that's really sound advice is around reframing perhaps your perspective of leadership as an activity, as something that you're participating in. And, and it then lends itself to, well, naturally, I'm going to listen. 
Yeah. Naturally, I'm going to participate in my communities because I do see this as a, an ongoing responsibility. And through that participation, you're going to pick up those stories. If you're going with that, you know, eyes up and in ears open kind of mentality, you're going to pick up these stories and those stories themselves are the things that you can then play back to people based on a position and a privilege that leadership is. So I think that's a really nice fundamental. Look, this is this is such an important conversation, Doug, and I, I'm grateful for you sharing your time and perspective on this because I think that as someone who observes what you do online, I can see that you genuinely walk the talk. And I think that's important that, you know, well, I've certainly heard the message loud and clear that that the skill set is changing. And I like that idea of leadership as an activity. And whether you're at the helm of any organization, it doesn't just need to be the Smith family, obviously, that, that is telling stories, but there is a responsibility not only to speak up, but also to provide the space and empower others to do so. I think that's really important for leaders to take away from today. And also, I do want to give a shout out to, to, the, to the work that the Smith family does, Doug, because it's our mission at Propel to see good leadership amplified. And, and so I'd encourage anyone listening today that is looking for a for-purpose partner um, whose work is both steeped in history and impact, uh, but also gets how this new world of influence and storytelling and partnerships works, that they consider contacting the Smith family. I, I think that's important to say. And, and if anyone wants to do that, what is the best way for them to reach you or, you know, the, the, the organization at large? What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, look, jump on smithfamily.com.au. You can get me on LinkedIn and, you know, I'm really committed to responding to messages that I get from all sorts of people. Um, and I really enjoy those conversations and interactions. It's a really wonderful way for me to kind of be connected and get feedback, which is also incredibly useful. And yeah, look, we welcome any support. We've set ourselves some big targets for the next few years. We're currently supporting 60,000 uh, students and families focusing on educational impacts and outcomes. And we've set a goal to reach 100,000 over the next five years. So we need the support of the Australian community to do that. And particularly at this time with the cost of living pressures, when demand for services like the Smith family and other charities is increasing, it's at a time when obviously there's a lot of real pressures and but we'd certainly welcome any, any support and appreciate that. Well, I think, you know, the impact that that can have and, and the stories that you shared today. So to fill that gap between 60 and 100, we've already heard today the impact of when a device is in someone's hand, when a uniform is on someone's back, just what that means in terms of their ability to ideally improve their circumstances and outcomes. So, Doug Taylor, thank you so much for sharing your stories and for joining us on the Your Digital Reputation podcast. That's a pleasure. Thanks very much, Rog. And this ends story time. We need some <laughs> lullaby music to end it out, don't we? <laughs> we'll see what we can line up. I think it's a bit more jazzy than that, but we'll see what we can do. Thanks again for listening. If you've learned something from today's conversation, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with others. For all show notes, head to propelgroup.com.au. Thanks again for listening.